Well, this has been a, I must say, a, a bitter disappointment. I really thought I had a shot at the ugly sweater contest. But I need to tell you, when we do, when we do the ugly hat contest. Yeah. I would preach with that on, but you wouldn't take me seriously. I don't think you'd hear a word maybe that I said. Those that are my generation or close to my generation, we memorized the Lord's Prayer a long time ago. Most of you older folks, if you're 50 and over at least, you probably memorized it. And we memorized it King James Version. The danger of us praying that prayer is that it can get so, it becomes rote and the words roll off our tongue without really settling here and us seriously praying it. So we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together just now. I'm going to invite you to stand and pray with me. But this is not the version that some of us are used to and therefore maybe it'll help us pray it anew and afresh. Would you pray the prayer with me. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Norm was not a Scrooge. He was a good and decent man. He was generous to his family, upright in his dealings. But... As a serious thinker, he wanted, he was looking for complex answers to life situations. He just had a problem accepting the simple story of Christmas. The God born a man in a manger story to him, he just, he just couldn't accept it. This incarnation stuff, for him, it, he would say, if you talk to him, it's just beyond belief. It doesn't make sense. And he was too honest to pretend that he believed when he didn't. So on Christmas Eve, as the family was preparing to leave for a service of carol singing and candle lighting at a nearby church, he informed them, he said, I'm not going to go along tonight. I feel like I'd be a hypocrite. So he stayed and they went. Shortly after they left the house, the snow began to fall. He stood by the window in the front room and watched the flakes grow bigger and bigger before repeating, uh, retreating to his fireside chair. Moments later, he was startled by a loud thunk, and then another, and then still another. Kids throwing snowballs was his first thought. And then he thought, no, that doesn't sound exactly like snowballs. So going to the door and opening it, he saw a flock of birds 
huddled miserably in the deepening snow. They had apparently been caught unexpected in the snowstorm, and in an effort to find shelter, they tried to fly through his large picture window, and thus, thus the thunk. Well, what to do? Well, he felt like he couldn't just let them lie there, but what could he do? And then he had a flash of inspiration, and he thought of the barn where the kids stabled their pony beside the house. That, he thought, would provide a nice, warm, safe place for them. So grabbing his coat, outside he went and, uh, to the old barn and threw open the creaking doors, and he turned on the light. But the birds didn't go in. Food, he said out loud. Food would entice them to go into the barn. So he ran back to the house and he found some breadcrumbs that his wife was planning to use for croutons on top of the salad the next day and made a trail from where the birds were to the open barn door. But still the birds just kind of flapped around inattentively. He tried catching them. That didn't work. He tried shooing them. That didn't work. He walked all around them, waving his arms. But when he did that, all they did was scatter in every direction except towards the open barn door. And then it dawned on him. You know what? They're afraid of me. To them, I'm a stranger. I'm a strange, mysterious creature. If only I could tell them in some way that I'm trying to help. If I could only communicate to them that they can trust me. If only I could mingle with them. If only I could speak their language. If I could become a bird, he thought, then they could see me and hear me and understand me and maybe then they would follow me into the safe, warm barn. Just then, he heard voices from the nearby church singing the familiar carol, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. And it seemed like a message for just him. For him, for Norman, as he stood there, it was a, a moment of insight. He stood there in the snow, and for the first time in his life, the whole God-became-man idea made sense to him. I want you to come with me now. We're in Matthew chapter 1. You've heard a verse or two from that passage read already in this service. It's the second pre-Christmas story. Last week we looked at the angel appearing to Mary, and this week we're looking at the, Mar uh, the angel appearing to Joseph's. So the scripture is before you. Tonight you be odd and I'll be even. Are we ready? I'll start. Now this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, 
For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He brought Mary home to be his wife. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. In these next moments, I wish I can, I've been praying all week that I'll be able to help you see and understand and even feel in a new and fresh way the significance of those words, the focus, the title of the message tonight, God with us. I want these next moments to, to be for you like it was for Norman, a moment of fresh insight. So here we go. The first thing I would say to you is this. You see, God wasn't always with us. And so the first statement I would say to you is this. Before Jesus was born, you could say, you could put it this way, you could say God was for us. Not with us, but for us. He was on our side, and in that sense, you could say he's for us, but not really present with us. Although, I must say, it didn't start out that way in the beginning. If you go all the way back to the very first part of the Bible, the book of Genesis, just three chapters in, we read these words. Toward evening, they, referring to Adam and Eve, heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And we understand that when we read the story, when you read the whole story in its context, that God did indeed come down to be with Adam and Eve, only to discover when he came down for that visit that they had broken his law, that they had betrayed his trust, that they had fractured the relationship with him. They went their own way. They In a simple word, they sinned. And the with ended at that point. But you know, God never gave up on them. He was always for them. He was always for people, even through the Old Testament. Three chapters later, Genesis chapter 6, we see the widespread wickedness of mankind. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 reads... Now the Lord observed the extent of the people's wickedness, and he saw that all their thoughts were consistently and totally evil. Sounds like a bad scene. But the next sentence reads, But Noah found favor with the Lord. Noah turned his heart towards God. And God used this man, Noah, to save all of those who would agree to go with him and enter the ark. So you see, God, even though 
the relationship was broken by Adam and Eve, God was always for us. But never again in the Old Testament days do we see God actually dwelling with man. There was always someone that God was speaking through to those who would listen. And we mentioned some of the big names in the Old Testament. God spoke to Abraham. He said to him, I will make a great nation of you. But it was only to Abraham that he spoke. And Abraham was the go-between. He took the message back to the people. The common man at that point had no relationship with God. Another big name, Moses. Everyone knows that name. God came down and met with just Moses on Mount Sinai. And then Moses took the Ten Commandments down the mountain and delivered the message to the people. But there was no intimacy between God and every man and woman. And that's the way it was all through the Old Testament days. God was here and man was here. And always there was a go-between, in between a holy God and sinful man. Some of the names of the Old Testament, Joshua, Gideon, David, Solomon. God always seemed to have a special agent. He was briefly with them, but God was for the common man back in Old Testament days. He was impersonal. He was a mighty God, but always somewhat aloof from sinful people like you and like me. But having said that, he was for us. How can I help you understand that God was for us, to see it more clearly? Let me try this. Back when my son Brock was a kid, he played little league ball, all the little leagues from t-ball right on up through he played. I rarely missed a game. I even missed church services at times to be at Brock's ball games. I was his biggest fan. You could say that I was for him. However, I would be up here in the stands and Brock would be down here on the field. But I was for him. Every dad and mom here or grandpa and grandma, if you've taught kids, grandkids to play ball, you know how it works. You're sitting in the stands and my heart would sink every time he took the bat and swung and missed. And every time the bat connected with the ball, my heart would soar. But I was not with him. There was no real intimacy. We were separated, me in the stands, him on the field. I was up there. He was down here. And that pictures how it was all through the Old Testament before Christ came. No real closeness with the ordinary person on the street. God was always aloof. There was always a separation. Now, perhaps you've heard about the tabernacle. The people established a tabernacle in Jerusalem, which was supposed to be where God dwelled among his people. I don't know how much you know about the tabernacle, but the very center of the tabernacle, the heart, in the very heart of the temple, was a place known as the Holy of Holies. No man could ever enter there. Only the priest. And the priest entered just one time a year. 
So there was always a separation, always a go-between, between a holy God and sinful people. Ah, but then, late in the Old Testament, characters, you've heard about them, the general name for them is the prophets, began to speak of how things were going to change. They began to speak of a new day that was on the horizon. They began to talk about a new and more personal relationship between God and man. Verse 23 that we read together already tonight talks about that. That is a quote from the Old Testament book of Isaiah written 700 years before the scripture that we read tonight. Remember what it said? The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning, what are the words? God with us. Do you see it? So the second thing I would point out to you is this. When Jesus was here on earth, here's an obvious truth, God was then with us. In 1977, Hollywood released a comedy that gave an old, wrinkled, worn-out comedian sort of a, a fresh start. Maybe you remember him. Some of you would. His name was George Burns. The movie was called simply, Oh God. The theology was a little bit out there, but there was enough truth to give all of us some insight into what God with us really means. In the movie, God, played by George Burns, appears to an assistant manager in a Los Angeles supermarket. He's dressed in sneakers and an old fishing hat. He says, first approach to, to the character played by John Denver, I picked a look you could understand, God explains. And that's about as close as you can get to explaining what happened in Bethlehem. God picked a look all of us could understand and came into this world as a little baby. John, the gospel writer, who doesn't include any of the Christmas story in his gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, only Matthew and Luke include any of the Christmas story, John, however, does say this. The Word, he calls Jesus the Word, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to us. He was one of us. He came to be with us. Now, I know that those medieval painters meant well when they depicted the infant Jesus in the manger. And you've seen these pictures. You'll recall as I describe it. And the infant Jesus always, even as an infant in the manger, always had this glowing halo around his head. Always. The medieval painters just did that. Hear me. He had no halo. He looked like your baby. God was with us. Can you imagine God actually with us? Think of it this way. The same hand that stretched out over the formless mass cloaked in darkness, which is way the, the way the New Living Testament translates Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. So the same hand that moved over the darkness and said, let there be light, that's the same hand 
that reached up out of the manger and put its little hand around Joseph's finger. What a thought that is. God with us. No more separation. No more God up there and man down here. Now he comes down and is on the field with us. Can you see it? Let me visit my son here again. After my son Brock reached his teenage years, he joined the church ball team. I was already on the church ball team. Both of us now on the same team. So now we were on the field together. Now I'm playing with him. It's no longer me up in the stands and Brock down on the field. No more separation. No more distance between us. Actually, we batted fourth and fifth in the batting order. That made it even better. There was, a, there was a new intimacy between us. I was no longer just for him, me in the stands and him in the field, but now I had come out of the stands and I'm on the field with him. We were in the game together, God with us, one of us. He experienced, think about this, he experienced what we experience. Scripture tells us that he was tempted in every way, and yet he never gave in. Scripture tells us that he was hungry. He could identify with one half of the world's population that lies awake at night with hunger pains. He went days without food, 40 days on one occasion. He was lonely. He knew the ache that gnaws at those who long for friendship. He once spent a month completely isolated from every other human. When they nailed him on the cross, even his closest friends deserted him and ran away. He knew what it was like to be single in a society where marriage was the norm. He knew suffering. John, can you pass me my water bottle here before I lose my voice altogether? This sermon is drier than I had thought. Ah, that's good. He knew bereavement. He lived where we live. He experienced what we experience. He sat where you sit. God with us. And you know what? The news gets even better. You see, Jesus left the planet, as you all know. He told his disciples before he left, he said to them, I am going to leave. The disciples pleaded with him to stay. They, but he had told them that after he left, that they would do more wonderful works than he had done. They couldn't get it through their heads that it could possibly be any better than having Jesus here in physical form with them. But you see, and here's my third statement tonight, Jesus, since Jesus left earth, God is now, what's the word? He is in us. The night before Jesus was crucified, he spoke to his disciples with these words. I will ask the Father, speaking of his imminent departure, I will ask the Father and he will give you another friend, 
One scripture says, another counselor, another comforter, another encourager, another companion who will never leave you. Then he names him and says, he is the Holy Spirit. He lives with you now and later will be in you. And seven weeks later, Acts chapter 2 records it, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence. And ever since that day, God has been present in us. I wish I could help you understand better how God being in us is so much superior to God simply being for us and even better than God being with us. Let me go back to my son Brock for a moment. When he was just a little boy, guess who it was that taught him how to play ball? That would be me. That's probably why he's such a great ball player still today in his late 40s. Do you know how he did that? Well, I would have to get his, his reluctant mother to pitch the ball. But I would stand behind Brock and put my feet beside his feet and reach my arms down around him and put my hands over his hands and we'd hold the bat together. It was almost like we were one person. And his mom would be over here and throwing the ball and I would say, Brock, now point your toes there at your mother, hold the bat good and high and when, and when the ball comes, raise your right foot and step towards the picture and night just relax Brock we can do this together move your foot when the ball comes towards your mother nice level swing and connect with the ball and together together Brock and I did things that he could never do alone that's the best I can do at helping you understand that we today have it even better than those early disciples who couldn't imagine anything better than Jesus with them in the physical body. But Jesus said, when I leave, it's going to be better than me being with you. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and he will be in you. And child of God tonight, when you repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ, he placed his Holy Spirit in you. We sing about it, you know. Even some of the old traditional Christmas carols, O little town of Bethlehem. Let's just slow up a minute and think of the words that are familiar to most of you. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, here it is, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters, the word is in, Christ in us. I was just six, six years of age, when I invited Jesus Christ to come into my life and into my heart.
Matter of fact, we sing a song that I haven't heard it in, in many years. Songs come and go, even in children's ministry. But the song went like this. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Have you done that? You could, even right here, sitting right here in this place. I'm going to pray a prayer. Maybe there is someone here in this crowd this evening, small as it is, that would like to make this the day that you open your life and invite Jesus Christ to come in. If you do make that decision, would you tell me using the connect card, the yes card there in front of you? Let's pray together. Father, what a great and amazing God you are. We are so so fortunate to live in the day told about the prophets so long ago. Not only would Christ come and 30 plus years spent here and I'm sure the disciples to to a man thought it can't be better than this. Oh, what will happen to us when he leaves? But Father, you said when you did leave, you would send your spirit and he would dwell in us. Father, give us a grasp of that reality in a new, fresh way tonight. I pray for the person here tonight that even this moment is praying that simple simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Let's stand as we worship together.